30% Club is a global campaign led by chairs and CEOs taking action to increase gender diversity at board and senior management levels. In 2019, they launched their Missing Millions report, which looked at the commercial benefits of having a diverse workforce. In this report, some well-known businesses shared what they're doing for their clients and customers to foster greater inclusion and diversity, including our very own Leap Network at PwC. Today, I'm excited to be joined in our virtual studio with Bernadette Kelly, CB, Permanent Secretary at the Department for Transport, and Brenda Trenowden, CBE and partner at PwC, to talk about how businesses are potentially missing millions in revenue by not having a diverse workforce, and what PwC and the Department for Transport are doing to create more diverse and inclusive workforces, whilst empowering you to think about how you can too. So Brenda, if I can start with you, can you give our listeners a bit more background to the Missing Millions report, please? Thanks, Depesh. Um, well, actually, I'm going to start by saying it's not really focused on having a diverse workforce, although that's definitely important and indirectly that that is a point. But the report is really, it's more about an external view of inclusion and diversity. And in this case, we, we put a gender lens on it. When we talk about women, we need to make sure that we're thinking about all women. You know, this is where intersectionality starts to become really, really important. So, you know, I can't emphasize that point enough. And so what we were really trying to do was to get organizations to stop just thinking about internal representation and, and their talent, and to really look externally and think about who are your customers? Who are the people that you're designing your products and services for? Who are you marketing to? And how are those adverts resonating with them? But more importantly, have you really taken into account their needs, their wishes and desires um, when you're designing your products and services? And so, you know, in, in many cases, what we found was that companies hadn't been fully thinking about, you know, who they were actually marketing to or designing for. And they were actually missing millions, you know, millions of customers, millions of opportunities, ultimately millions of pounds. Um, but of course, you, you come back to representation because unless you have enough diversity internally, and, and in this case, we look at gender, unless you have women that are, are at the tables that are taking decisions, that are designing, that are thinking about it, you probably don't have the insights and perspectives necessary to take those things into account. So it, it's a very simple um, description of, of the missing millions concept, but it, it really is designed to kind of take inclusion and diversity and, and bring it up a level and, and out of the HR space, really into an enterprise-wide approach and, and how you're looking externally. Does that make sense? That does. And it's thinking about the bigger picture. I think that's what you're referring to and actually having the people um, internally to, to, to come up with those decisions to effectively target the audiences that would be relevant to them. Um, so that, that, that makes sense to me. So thank you so much, Brenda. Um, Bernadette, if I can come to you and congratulations on the Department for Transport for being a Times Top 50 employer for women. Um, what is the organization doing to attract more female talent? So I'll come on to what we're doing in DFT, because obviously I'm delighted that we're a Times Top 50 employer uh, for women again this year. Um, but I just wanted to say first how much I agree with 
Brenda's sort of perspective um, around the Missing Millions report and how important it is um, in any organisation to think about purpose uh, as well as representation internally. I've always felt that for all of us who are involved as I am in sort of public service, uh, representing and reflecting uh, the communities and the people we're there to serve is really, really more, is really important. But of course, as Brenda says, uh, one of the things that can most readily help us to do that is by ourselves having uh, a workforce um, that looks, uh, sounds, thinks, feels like um, the people we are serving. Um, so yeah, no, it's a real uh, buzz actually to be in the Times top 50 list uh, this year. I think we were in 2017, uh, but that was a few years ago. Uh, and Department for Transport, I mean, we, we're a kind of interesting organisation in that we sit in the centre of two sort of systems, if I can put it that way. One is um, the civil service sort of system, which actually is pretty progressive uh, in terms of uh, diversity and inclusion more widely but also female representation uh, uh, in the workforce. And I think we do a lot of uh, very progressive things actually, which I'd be happy to expand on. But we also sit at the center of the transport system, which is a lot less diverse on the whole. So um, around 20% of the workforce in the transport sector is women. Uh, we're at around 43% in uh, the department, including good senior representation. But I do think that brings us back in turn to, you know, the importance of having uh, female voices and perspectives as we think about how we design um, and invest in transport for the future. In terms of what we've been doing in DFT uh, to uh, find ourselves back on the Times top 50, I think we have had a sustained focus over now a significant period of time. And I think that's so important. It's very easy to have a few successes on diversity and inclusion and then kind of take your eye off the ball uh, and find yourself going backwards. So sustained focus is key. We've been really sort of scrubbing, if I can put it that way, all of our systems around recruitment, progression, talent management, all of those things that help uh, women to get in and then uh, to get on in the organization. Uh, and then what we've had is a fantastically energized and energetic and growing network um, of people in the department, uh, really, really uh, challenging us to be as good as we possibly can be and to provide an environment and an inclusive culture where everybody can succeed. And I, I hope that's one of the things that has helped to mark out our success. So I am uh, hugely grateful to our gender network, which has been a phenomenal inspiration uh, to us in the department. And um, one of the things that sometimes worries me when I talk about um, women in transport and, you know, the sort of work that's going on to make sure there are more women in transport is that it might leave some uh, women out there thinking maybe this actually isn't the place for them, but it really is. There are so many um, fascinating and different sorts of jobs in this sector. And it is a sector, I think, with a you know, very, very uh, bright and exciting future. Um, whether you want to be a, a, an engineer or an executive or a commercial person, there are so many different sorts of jobs um, in the sector. But don't just take my word for it. We recorded a few voices from women in the sector, women at the top of their uh, careers, women just starting their careers in transport. We thought you might like to hear from them. 
Hi, my name's Joanna Mills and I'm currently a third year level three maintenance technician apprentice with Network Rail. I chose a career in the railway industry as engineering was always one of my key interests while studying at school. I love designing, making and understanding the working principles behind different objects and processes and this was fuelled by my passions for maths, physics and product design. I've loved every minute of my time at Network Rail and I've had a really positive experience being a female in a traditionally male dominated industry where all my colleagues have treated me as equal and respected my views and opinions. Good morning. My name is Loveday Ryder and I'm the Chief Executive of the Driver and Vehicle Standards Agency. We're the agency that does driving tests and carries out checks to make sure buses and lorries are safe to drive. We don't have as many women as I'd like in my agency, but my goal is to have driving examiners and vehicle examiners that reflect the society in which we live. That means we have to make these roles as attractive and as flexible as possible to get women to come in and then make it a great place of work so that we retain them. Hi, I'm Trudy and I'm a train driver. I've been driving for nearly 28 years and I love my job. It is different every day, never a dull moment. You're paid for fast decision making. Hi, I'm Becky, I'm a train driver for over 10 years. I'm bringing my daughter to work to give an insight of my job and it's a dream come true for both of us. Mum because it's really hard to get this job and it's just really important and you're helping people basically to get to different places. Hi, I'm Emma Gilthorpe and I'm the Chief Operating Officer at Heathrow. Having female decision makers is key to the success of any organisation in today's world. We know there's a compelling body of evidence that shows you need at least 30% gender diversity to even start shifting the dial to deliver better organisational and performance outcomes. We also know that women tend to deal more effectively with risk because we tend to have a bias in our thinking to focus on longer term priorities, which is why boards with higher female headcount tend to have stronger reputations. Ultimately, gender diversity on boards, as it is elsewhere in life, is about diversity of thought and opening our minds to others' perspectives. I'm Sarah Storey. I'm a non-executive board member at the Department of Transport, and I'm also really passionate about the importance of female representation in the transport sector. I started working in sustainable transport with British Cycling as a policy advocate in 2013 and one of the reasons I was attracted to that role was to help uh, ensure that we could uh, attract more women to cycling both as a sport and as an activity and a means of transport. It's been really interesting to work and help build the female population um, using cycling as a mode of transport and it's still something that's seen mainly as a male discipline and it's very male dominated certainly in the transport sector. When I started working as the Active Travel Commissioner in South Yorkshire for Mayor Dan Jarvis, I was um, sort of a female leader within a, a sea of male voices, but that is changing. And I go to more and more events now where the panel isn't male dominated and I'm not the only female voice there. It's so important to have uh, female representation so that 50% of the population are catered for and that the differing needs people have at different times of their lives and the different access needs that people have are also well represented. Why is it so important for there to be female representation at all levels, particularly in organisations which haven't historically attracted female talent? Um, Brenda, if we can go to you first, that would be great. Sure, thank you. Um, I always think it's, it's easiest to get this point across with a couple of stories. So I'll, I'll try and be quite brief, but, but I think, you know, some, some illustrations. So the case studies that we had in, in the Missing Millions and, you know, Leap was, was one of them. 
um, were all about trying to showcase where there was a challenge, what the companies did and what the outcomes were. So two examples that, that stood out were Vodafone, for example, I think it was a group of women within Vodafone that wanted to look at their, their customer base by gender in emerging markets in particular. And, you know, they found um, by looking at things that way that, you know, women were 10% less likely than men to own a mobile phone in those markets, which translated into a, a mobile gender gap of 200 million women who couldn't communicate, access information, learn, manage their finances, you know, even get help if they feel threatened, et cetera, et cetera. Unless those women internally had thought about asking, you know, why is that the case and, and what's the market out there? They wouldn't have known that. And actually very quickly, they set themselves a target of connecting 50 million more women in those markets, creating very specific services that, that would be useful for those women. Um, also thinking about how women bought phones and, and how to get over some of the challenges and they connected 25 million women in, in very short order. Unilever's example was about their marketing. You know, Unilever's products, about 70% of the, the buyers are women. And by actually um, unpicking whether or not those ads were resonating with women, they found out that a lot of them weren't. And it was, it was a female marketing director that looked at that. So they, they did a lot of work on unstereotyping their advertising. But, but an example that really stands out for me, and it's from Caroline Criado Perez's book, Invisible Women, and this one is, is great, is, is that in 2001, when there was an earthquake in Gujarat, um, which is in Western India, there were a thousand people, which, which is not great, um, who died and almost 400,000 homes destroyed. But the rebuilding project didn't include any women. And so those houses that were built didn't have any kitchens. And they didn't have outdoor areas for looking after animals because that, that was seen as, as a women's job, which seems kind of extreme. And you think, OK, that couldn't happen again. But actually, about four years later, when we had the tsunami in Sri Lanka and similarly, the rebuild project didn't include women, the exact same thing happened again. The houses didn't have any kitchens in them. So I think that illustrates the point really well about the need to have women at those tables or in those Zoom calls where decisions are being taken, you know, really thinking about their perspectives, their insights, thinking about maybe caring responsibilities or safety or preferences, style, you know, just really understanding and, and, and getting those insights on, on who the customer base is or, or communities that you're operating in. Bernadette, if I can ask you the same question, why is it important for there to be female representation at all levels, um, particularly in organizations which haven't historically attracted female talent? Well, a lot of it goes back to Brenda's great example. You know, I could give numerous examples, I suspect, in the transport sector, uh, historically sort of the same, really, where things like, you know, the design of railway stations or train carriages or buses wasn't really thought of through the perspective of all of the people using the network and of course we all rely on uh, transport um, every day or we did before COVID and I'm sure again we will after the pandemic to get around and live our lives and therefore understanding the perspective of everybody using uh, those networks is so important and that goes to layout and it goes to lighting and it goes to how safe spaces feel so I think there's a, a real enhanced focus I know in uh, all of the companies now that we work with in the department operating 
uh, in the transport sector to really sort of raise their game uh, and improve uh, their sort of insight and perspective. And I was delighted actually, Network Rail, really big player in the industry, um, also on the Times top 50 uh, list of employers uh, this, um, this year, in partly a reflection of great work that I've done both within their workforce, but also to promulgate really high standards through the industry. Um, High Speed 2 Limited, another company that my department um, works with every single day, has really set an example, actually, both in its own recruitment, um, uh, but also in the sort of standards it expects in its supply chain, actually, amongst employers in terms of diversity and inclusion. Uh, so I think there's, you know, it's, it's, it's a sort of combined effort, really, at all levels that's needed over time uh, to make sure that we are achieving a balance of representation and a culture of inclusion and a perspective that is genuinely broad about our customer base that's needed uh, to, to, to see the see the outcomes we want. We're still not where we want to be in transport, I have to say, but um, I'm you know genuinely impressed by the leadership and enthusiasm for this uh, that I've seen over the past few years. Um, if I could just jump in here, actually, when we spoke earlier, Bernadette, you mentioned a report that I think came out last week that was about social mobility, but also had some gender implications as well, effectively intersectionality um, in that regard. And, and I wondered if you could just touch on that a bit. Yeah, it was an interesting. Well, I did. I was involved in um, some work that the Social Mobility Commission have done, um, a, a report that was published on May the 20th around socioeconomic diversity in the civil service. Actually, it was very much looking at the civil service culture and it has some very interesting insights on um, social mobility and social diversity and the barriers to progression that still exist uh, for people. Um, joining the civil service from less advantaged backgrounds, which are a sort of reflection of all sorts of uh, sort of interesting things that happen, hidden and unwritten rules, as it were, of progression that exist within the civil service. And I, I think it's a very insightful report, but it has really interesting things to say as well about the sort of cumulative uh, barriers that people, um, women from working class backgrounds experience in the workplace um, and I think that's also uh, another sort of aspect of the um, uh, missing millions Brenda that you've highlighted you know that if you are not uh, hearing those voices from people with a range of different experiences then we will not really be getting a full understanding uh, of the people in the communities uh, where they're to serve. I think it's it's another it's another aspect of intersectionality isn't it you know really it looking at mm at women from, from disadvantaged um, backgrounds. It's really interesting. Definitely. And, and thank you for sharing those insights, Bernadette. Really interesting. Um, finally, my last question is, how can sectors such as the transport sector be more inclusive by design for everyone? And do you think this will help our listeners feel empowered to enter workforces and industries, which they have typically excluded in the past? So Bernadette, maybe you can take that one first. Um, yeah, it's a, a, a very interesting question. Actually, last week, May the 20th, we also published a uh, rail reform white paper. The government published this. 
Uh, and you will have heard, I think, in the context of that about uh, flexible season tickets and flexible ticketing. Um, and of course, this is in many ways a response to the COVID pandemic. What we see now is many, many more people want to work flexibly. Um, many fewer people, um, it seems, are likely to want to work five days a week in the office in the way that uh, people did before. So it's a, it's a kind of good example of how um, we've seen COVID accelerate some trends in our society um, in very interesting ways, both about around the workforce, but also around the way that I think companies, businesses and public sector organisations will need to respond to um, those trends as well. Um, so I would say it's, it's a good example, say, of an accelerator trend and a sort of accelerated response. This is something in government we've been thinking about for a long time but there hadn't quite been the sort of momentum uh, and pull and demand uh, to change the way we do things in the transport sector that suddenly exists now. Um, and it's, uh, as I say, an interesting example of things changing. It also makes me reflect upon the sort of flexible working dynamic that we're also seeing massively accelerating in many parts of our workforce and in many organisations as a consequence of the pandemic. Uh, with many, many more men as well as women wanting to work in different and more flexible ways. And I think this is, again, a great opportunity uh, for employers to think uh, about how we make our workplaces more inclusive. One thing that's been powerful, actually, in changing the dynamic in my department has been um, flexible working and job sharing, in particular in very senior roles. So I appointed a, the most senior female job share in the civil service to a key role leading our rail work a few years ago. And that sent a really powerful signal, I think, um, to the industry. And quite a lot of people at the time were sort of a bit skeptical about how this would work, but now they have a, a really different perspective. And I hope that what we're doing there is perhaps kind of uh, providing a little bit of a beacon for other employers. It's set a big example in my department. We've now got 17 senior job shares uh, and the way in which men and women are approaching flexible working, we're starting to see some big changes in. Um, and I think that's great for the individuals who we want to keep and motivate at different stages in their careers. It also builds tremendous organisational resilience because two heads are always better than one in any job. Yeah, definitely. And I think like we can echo that at PwC. We're, we're encouraging flexible working for all of our people to, to suit um everyone so um definitely resonating there brenda if you could um add your insights that would be great so i'm gonna i just thought of this actually i'm gonna give you a personal example on this because you asked about how we can we can um have our listeners feel empowered to go into some of those workforces and industries where they may have been excluded in the past so from my own perspective um three years ago I got a call from a headhunter to join as a non-exec director on the England and Wales Cricket Board. Now, I like cricket. My husband and son are obsessed with cricket. I've watched a lot of cricket. But as a Canadian female, it's, it's not really an obvious one for me to be on the cricket board. At least that was my thought. So, you know, I, I wasn't really going to pursue it. And the, the, the headhunter was really keen and I went for a meeting, as were my husband and son. So I, I did go along for the meeting and of course, you know, they have a lot of directors on the board and they don't want everyone to be a cricket professional. 
They wanted people who had banking and finance background, communication skills, stakeholder management skills, governance skills, and they also wanted help with, with inclusion and diversity. I happen to have been a banker previously for, for more than 25 years. And so, you know, I ended up putting my name forward and, and I did get the role. And now three years later, um, I'm the senior independent director of the England and Wales Cricket Board. Um, I lead the ESG committee. I chair the host venue panel. I'm on the audit and risk committee. I'm involved in the REMCO. Um, I do a lot of work on governance. There, there are lots of areas that I get involved. And you know they don't come to me and ask me to to you know rule on on new aspects of of cricket. They have lots of people who know about that. But but I would say you know step out of your comfort zone um, to listeners and don't always think that things are as they appear. You know think about what new perspectives and new things that you can bring. And um, I think you might be quite surprised at uh, how some of these industries that may not at first look like they're they're as welcoming could be really welcoming that, that's a great message brenda thank you so much and um yeah i agree i think all of our listeners can can um take uh, inspiration from what you've just said um but no thank you both for for being part of this conversation and thank you so much for sharing your insights with us and our listeners today for for, for tuning in um to find out more about the missing millions report please visit the leap network homepage at pwc uk And thank you to our listeners for joining us for another episode of the How to Empower podcast.